The legacy of number 45, President Donald J. Trump, is over. And I think I just lost uh, half of my conservative audience by saying that, if not more. Welcome to So To Speak. My name is Evan Mead, and uh, Lau Groniger, once again, has very kindly opted out of this episode. Uh, nothing personal, uh, just not into talking about politics, and we respectfully um, acknowledge that decision of his. So, uh, But I've got Jody Aberdeen and Asad Hamid back from the last political podcast we did about Trump. Uh, that episode was mainly about um, the process leading up to the election. Because we, I recorded part one uh, before uh, we recorded part one a couple weeks before the election. I actually think a couple days before the second presidential debate with Biden. So now the election's over. The results are in. Biden has turned up a winner um, in when uh, now that all the votes are just being counted. But it feels like it's over. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like it's over. And what we're currently experiencing is the most horrifying lame duck I've ever seen in my lifetime when it comes to uh, presidential transitions of power from one administration to the next. I have never seen anything like what is going on in the United States right now. Uh, so uh, Jody and Assad were my awesome guests who came on uh, for our last uh, Trump episode. Now this is part two, a little follow-up to the election. So, um, guys, uh, welcome back. I'd like to start you off with, um, so what do you, what are your, like, first thing that pops into your head when you think of, like, just the 2020 election and how it all went down? Like, just what's the first thing that came up? It shouldn't have been that close. I know, right? Yeah. Um, I had predicted he would win. So first, let me acknowledge that I was wrong, and I'm glad I was wrong. I predicted he would win because uh, of a variety of factors. I thought maybe a lot of his vote would be unseen. And also, frankly, a bit of selfish self. You know, I set, I set the bar of expectation low so that I wouldn't be completely devastated if he won. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if that makes sense. Because uh, I went to bed uh, the evening of 2016, the election night, with thinking Hillary Clinton had it in the bag, and then I woke up, and then Trump had it. I didn't want to do that again <laughs> uh, yeah. on election night, so I decided to lowball my expectations. And, you know, um, I've heard Biden described as going around uh, is always around. he's the good guy that's the boring that you date a really relationship yeah <laughs> but he stayed you right back up and um yeah i think uh, that's where the country decided to go jody um think, you're, you're kind of cutting in and out uh yeah i just saw my my was unstable hang on one sec okay yeah great yeah, uh, Asad, why don't you take it from here? I'm just going to figure out my uh, my connection. Yeah, go ahead. Well, uh, yeah, I, anyway, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad he I'm glad he won. It's uh, it's just been very close. Let me let me yeah. just sort out my information. Yeah. 
Sure. Well, I felt relief. Um, I think that I was expecting he would win, but I was also wondering about the polls. And it was interesting to see once again that there were issues with the polls, but not yeah. altogether surprising because there were questions about how many people were actively undermining the poll officers or the poll uh, collectors' efforts to get accurate information. I think that it's not really uh, such, it's a hard thing to actually have polls because polls are a function of um, information gathering that only work well in a democratic society. And when democratic societies are functioning smoothly, it's because people are reinforcing democratic norms with institutions. And in this case, President Trump and a number of other actors have been actively undermining democratic institutions. You yeah. can really only have polls being accurate, uh, not just because it's up to the pollsters, it's actually up to the population to engage in a way that honors democratic norms. And there has to be trust. And so what there isn't anymore is trust. And that's because it's been actively undermined by people over time. So ultimately, it didn't surprise me entirely that the polls were inaccurate. But I was just relieved. I didn't really know how much credence to give this notion of a hidden Trump vote. And I was wondering if there was actually a hidden Biden vote. <laughs> but nevertheless, I think that the Biden campaign is extraordinary. I mean, he didn't by accident get more votes than anybody ever has in his lifetime. And it's not just, in my opinion, because he wasn't Trump. It had a lot to do with that. He wasn't Trump as well. But once he was the candidate, they ran a crazily uh, dedicated campaign. And they had support from the people who ought to have supported them, i.e. Bernie Sanders. I do think that Bernie Sanders' campaign supported them a lot more than they supported Hillary Clinton's campaign. I think that shame on Bernie's campaign for blowing the opportunity in uh, 2016 for supporting the candidate as much as they could have. Uh, I don't think, you know, leaving aside the question of how was Bernie Sanders treated and how was how was their campaign treated in 2016, once they were not given the candidacy, they should have played ball a little bit more. And that led to Hillary Clinton losing to a large extent um, uh, against candidate Trump in 2016. This time they knew that, that they couldn't do that anymore. So there was a lot of support for Joe Biden. And so I just felt relieved and grateful that we could start to put this... Uh, horrible four-year stretch behind us because I'm not a fan of the Trump administration. Now, I think it's been absolutely mentally completely unhinged how Donald Trump's administration is handling this and how the Republican senators and lawmakers and people who support him are lining up behind him to continue to under undermine democratic norms by supporting his uh, President Trump's attempts to claim that Joe Biden's victory is not legitimate. So I'm watching what kind of awestruck horror that this once great country of the United States of America is still having their democratic norms eroded by a giant whiny baby who refuses to accept when he's lost. Yeah. Um, so first of all, uh, you guys gave some really good answers. Well, what like Jody and Asa were getting at, it really shouldn't have been that close, like from a moral standpoint, but um, in the end it was. And what's truly uh, flabbergasting to me was right the day before the election, I took a little snap poll, uh, like a 24-hour poll on my Instagram account, and I asked people, you know, who do you realistically think has the best chance of winning? And it, and it was the poll was super close, like 60% of everyone who answered, and I had like 30 to 50 people answer, they half almost half of them well 40 percent said trump had the best chance of winning and then 60 percent said biden had the best chance of winning but once i actually asked them okay all polls and stats aside who do you want to win only like three people uh, like 90 percent wanted biden to win uh, like 
uh, 9% wanted Trump to win. So I think uh, we, we went through a lot of what Jody experienced where um, he mentally prepared himself for a Trump victory. I know I did. Um, I went into election, I thinking this could go any which way. I don't care what the polls say. It's going to be 50, 50. Um, but uh, in the end, uh, Biden did turn up the winner. But what's uh, even crazier is um, people were people on both sides of the aisle were predicting landslide predictions for their respective candidate. Like the Trump people were, well, the, this was expected of the Trump people. They said there's going to be a landslide victory. He's going to crush Biden. And they still think that's going to happen, even though the election's over. Um, but what's really concerning is like the Biden people who said he's going to be a landslide victory. They didn't really get that landslide victory. So, Assad, you talked about how there was a hidden, uh, there may have not, there may or may not have been a hidden Trump vote. To a degree, I got to give credit where credit's due to the Trump base. There was a hidden Trump vote that was missed that eluded the polls, but it wasn't enough. The silent majority, as they like to call it, did show up, but it wasn't enough. Uh, to go up against the vote of the working class of America with no specific political affiliation, who was fed up of four years of Trump and went with Biden. So there's something to that, too. Uh, what is that? What Assad mentioned earlier and what you just said now is um, this notion of a hidden vote. When you I think we touched on it in the last episode, as a matter of fact, when you see yeah, all man. of the rancor on social media that if you just have just by expressing a political opinion, you get piled on a lot of the time, depending on the forum you're in. Yeah, people will just uh, they will they will just vote quietly. They yeah. walk into the ballot box and they vote quietly. Uh, the other thing, too, is like the polling, as we talked about last time, uh, as Assad touched on, is like it's no longer as functional because it relies on the people to reply. And there's a built-in bias that the pollsters do say they comp they compensate for, but I wonder how fundamentally um, compromised the system is now, because if you're, if you're particularly engaged in politics, you're more likely to answer that poll. If you're yeah. in, like, I, I wonder where they, who answers a, a call from Ipsos Reid if you're in Canada or somebody, another <laughs> polling company, yeah. or Gallup, and then says, yeah, I'm just kind of not interested, right? I'm not sure. I don't know who I'm going to vote for yet. Who's going to be so passionate or at least so driven by their indecision that they're going to actually answer a polling phone call when they get it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think I thought about this. It's, so the numbers of undecideds can't be quite accurate. And most polling companies, because they are typically for profit, they make some money. Yeah. They don't, uh, they, they would rather not broadcast that I would think, cause it's going to, there's too much money involved yeah. as with anything, everything else in the American system and our system too, to yeah. some degree, there's too much money involved. Mm. So, if the polls are flawed, but we're still relying on it, it's a little bit, uh, it's a bubble. It's like the housing bubble sort of in 2008. Mm -hmm. How accurate are these things? And is it, if we look deeper, do we find that there's nothing? Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that may have been what happened. Now the, the turnout too, we have to remember that there was active voter suppression tactics being undertaken in numerous States by the GOP. Yeah. That said, it's still even with those restrictions in place, it's still the biggest turnout in American voter history. Biden won with one of the biggest popular votes, I think, uh, if not the biggest. Yes. Yeah. And he's uh, he, now we're just waiting to see uh, if Trump leaves office on schedule. Hmm. I, I think that his leaving. Or, I, was that one of your questions, Evan? Or uh, um, I don't want to get it. Well. 
my question was, um, so, uh, I want to talk more about, you know, support for Trump from the perspective of an average Joe like we are, because mm -hmm. we're not politicians, we're just people who vote in Canada, and we also follow American politics, and we have friends and family in the States who vote down there, mm -hmm. so we're just passive observers in this election, but when it comes to American leadership on the world stage, it's like we're in the backseat of a car, and we have no choice but to trust the driver. Um, our prime minister can be like the guy in the front seat who's like navigating and stuff occasionally. And he'll say, hey, Mr. President, I think you should do this. And the president will either say, you know what, uh, sir, Mr. Canadian prime minister, I like you, but no, we're going to do this. It kind of depends on like, you know, the, the relationship our two countries have. And I think leadership under Trump combined with the leadership of Justin Trudeau over the last four years led to a very, very rocky and tumultuous relationship between the two countries. You have a far-right president of the United States and a center-left, uh, an elective-center Canadian prime minister. So heads were bound to butt, uh, obviously, in terms of like how each leader th thinks the country should run. But I, yeah, I want to talk about this not from some of the perspective of a politician, but from the perspective of a citizen, because we are the ones writing our political viewpoints on social media. And I do want to ask a question about, you know, where does America go from here after all after 1201 on January 20th, when Biden is sworn in? Notice, audience, I'm saying when, because I just want to clarify something to if you're listening to this, thinking that, you know, there's a conspiracy afoot. And I do want to talk about conspiracy theories. But if you're listening to this, thinking that the election is going to be overturned to Trump, I've got a, a reality check for you. This isn't the year 2000. Like, it just isn't. Like, there's not going to be... This isn't like 2000 where it came down to one state and the margin was so razor, razor thin that both parties tried to sue their way to victory and ultimately there was a winner. Um, but I feel like, um, you know, this isn't 2000. There's, no gonna, there's not going to be an overturn. He's either going to leave quietly when the inevitable the inevitable reality hits him that he can't win a second term if it hasn't hit him already which we honestly don't know if it's hit trump or not because there's there's just conjecture all over the place like i've heard that you know he is prepared to leave the white house but he's going to start up trump tv or he's going to leave the white house and then immediately begin his 2024 election fund which could, it could be a very real thing or he may not leave. He may try. He'll try to stage a coup. He'll fail. And then once his presidential power and leadership over the military expires at 1201 on January 20th, uh, Biden gets sworn in. And then if he's still squatting in the White House, Biden will have him and anyone who sticks by him in the White House arrested, like mm -hmm. be escorted out of the building in handcuffs. So there's three alternatives. Like, uh, I in my mind, I think either Trump is going to face the fact that he's he's gone and he'll leave quietly, but he he won't go to the inauguration like a little bitch. But he will leave the White House, or he won't, and he'll have to be removed by force. So I I don't know. I I'd, I'd love to hear your two cents. Uh, which do you think it's going to come down to? Quite honestly, <laughs> this is unknown territory. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you take this one first? I don't know where to go. I really don't know how to answer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, nobody knows, you know, yeah. Trump's proven, uh, proven himself capable of just about anything. 
But uh, this is just in keeping with everything he's always done. Every time reporters in his presidency have asked him a question, he says, well, I guess I could do this or I could do that. And some people say I should do this. And I guess we'll have to find out, won't we? So he's still a reality television show instigator at heart. Uh, last night, I was wasting time on YouTube, and I ended up watching a Comedy Central roast of Trump. And it was really hilarious to see somebody like Whitney Cummings up there, who is a comedian and a television show writer, just destroying him with obvious disdain for him in a public forum. And she was just saying all kinds of mean, hilarious, comedic things about him back when he was just a reality show uh, impresario well before he became the presidential candidate. So this was probably back in 2014 or 2015 or something like that. And it's really astonishing and humiliating to watch uh, <laughs> this happen. And so let's not forget that Trump long ago was just another reality show circuit guy who happened to have money. And now he is in the position of having of being still the incumbent president of the United States. But at the heart, he's still the same person. So he's still keeping right. people guessing. And uh, I really think that... Uh, my own opinion is that inside he knows he's lost, uh, but he just refuses to concede defeat because he doesn't want to give the impression that he's lost. There is a strain of masculinity that he projects to his base, which is yeah. that at all costs, never give up, never show weakness. And that's why those base of his love him, because they're psychologically invested in not having their worldview challenged and not um, uh, suffering cognitive dissonance when things don't work out the way they want them to work yeah. out. So Trump is the lodestar of this movement of uh, people who just can't handle reality. And that's the way he is. Now, th that's a different question from eventually uh, turning around and manufacturing a new reality, which he's already trying to do. And he's been trying to do consistently for months and months and months by claiming that the election would be rigged. So yeah. just as much as he can, he's going to uh, create another, he's already thinking of the future that he was already thinking of six months ago when he started to say, I'll only lose if the election has been rigged. He's still creating that reality for himself so that he can raise money for his efforts to, again, as you said, Evan, uh, have a 2024 re-election campaign or begin a media organization or become the quote-unquote shadow president of a different base in America, which is uh, about 70 million years to Biden, 75 million voters, and other people who didn't show up to vote. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see what happens. I do think the bottom line is that he knows he's not going to be in the White House in January. He's acknowledged as much by some uh, statements he's made in the media. But at the same time, he's going to continue to pretend that that's not the case and just uh, create create more chaos, which is what he's good at doing. Yeah. Now, um, so, yeah, I think that's great. Uh, the question actually wasn't answered, like, and, and I, it's not a, like a fault here, but I asked, like, do we think he's either, but yeah, actually, no, wait, forget it. Yeah, you did uh, answer the question. My apologies. Yeah, like, so you, you do think deep down he knows that he's going to be out in January, so he's just trying to fuel up his base. That's actually what I want to segue into next very appropriately, because even if he does eventually leave and doesn't have to be dragged out of the White House in handcuffs, what he's doing now by charging up his base, by not conceding, it's dangerous to democracy in any country to not concede an election. And maybe I'm just biased because I watched Van Jones's video on what happens if, you know, a president doesn't concede. And he, Van Jones was prepared to say to see Trump not concede if he lost. And we're seeing that right now. Um, 
it's extremely dangerous uh, to a democracy. And I'll tell you why. This is where, like, the whole average Joe on social media comes in. What I'm seeing right now uh, from the Trump base is a, a fair number, less than half of them have acknowledged reality. The ones that have acknowledged reality are not happy with the fact that he lost. And uh, for obvious reasons, just like the Hillary supporters weren't happy with Hillary. But there's an even more dangerous degree of denial that I'm seeing. And that plays into um, right-wing conspiracy theories, which is what I want to talk about next. Um, every single anti-masker on my Facebook feed... now. I don't interact with anti-maskers too, too much because the experience doesn't go too well whenever I, I'm not ever rude to them. What I do is I'll butt in and say, hey, consider this. And then they'll just respond with, no, no, uh, you're bought by mainstream media. And <laughs> I'm like, first of all, if I was bought by mainstream media, you think I'd be living the way I'm living right now? <laughs> but anyway, so, um, all the anti-maskers now believe that the election is going to be overturned to Trump. He's going to expose the insane corruption that has plagued the electoral system and that uh, it's good. Biden's going to lose the election. All the Democratic rigors are going to go into to, to jail and he's just going to claim a second term or become president for life because he'll have to completely redo the system. I see this in Trump supporter, uh, and not just Trump supporter, I see this in Trump supporter feeds, mind you, but I also see it in the feeds of spiritual peeps. Now, mm. putting aside, the three of us, I feel like, have been around the holistic, natural medicine, new age spirituality community and personal growth community for quite some time. We're going to get into something fun here. I want to hear your two cents, you first, Jody, uh, um, on how you feel that far-right conspiracies like QAnon and other sources have managed to infiltrate some of the most progressive, the my, they, it's managed to infiltrate some of the most progressive communities I know. Because these people up till now are all about peace on earth, there, there isn't a racist bone in their bodies, or so we think, and they just come across as really progressive who just want the best for everyone. Why are they all of a sudden falling prey to this bombastic conspiracy theory? I see you I, on the on the webcam here. You can't see it. I see you twiddling your thumbs. Go for it. I'm just going to let you talk. Oh, boy. So <laughs> this is a particular bone of contention for me uh, because I've had to reluctantly cut off people over the last few years who I've met at these it, within this personal growth movement because it was just too much unfollowing wasn't enough. Yeah. It's one of those things where I felt like it, what, ha like they, they talked about on the conservative side, this notion of Trump derangement syndrome. Yeah. And I, from what I understand, it's, mostly made up, but it's also a form of gaslighting where they basically will, will say things to get you to drive you crazy and then point, call you out for being crazy. Yeah. Uh, and that's essentially that. And some of these people that I've had to disconnect from were mentors, were friends. Mm. And it's just, I don't trust you. Right. I couldn't trust you right now to do the right thing at this point, because how no, once you know about how the system currently 
deals with people. Once you've seen what this particular president has done to, you know, to, to rights, to actual human beings, really, frankly, especially if you're coming across the border, how can you possibly justify that? And again, it goes to their social media bubbles, but I think too, um, I found out, I actually am making notes because I want to, because this this has been on my mind since you mentioned I've identified, this isn't, of course, prescriptive. This is just a theory. Um, I've identified three reasons why, three possible reasons why, if you're in the spiritual community, you're especially prone to thinking, to basically just being deranged by by this type of right-wing extreme thinking. So uh, the first, obviously, is that if you're on, since pandemic especially, we've been on social media almost 100% of the time, most of us who are locked down or who are working from home. It's where we get lots of our news. I don't have cable. Yeah. Um, and so that's where I get my news. And I have to look at different sources. But because we're on social media, we are prone to those distortive elements, to that um, echo chamber effect. So once we do get something inserted into the mix, we're just going to hear it again and again and again and again. So if one of those things happens to be a QAnon theory about, you know, pedophile rings or something, and it's, you're going to see that over and over again, repeated with the same people. Yeah. Um, just algorithmic. That's the first one. Particularly, particular to the cent- to the personal growth crowd, I think, is that they are naturally, they have a pre-existing distrust of existing institutions, the mm. system, right? They are a counterculture to a large degree, even though there's a lot of personal growth elements that have gone mainstream, uh, they are a counterculture to some to a large degree, and you can. Uh, there's a great book uh, called The Aquarian Conspiracy. I it's a it's I forgot the author's name, but that's the name of the book. It's a historical overview of where these movements came from. Right now, the best source that you can read on this is Mitch Horowitz. Anything that he's written in the last ten years uh, can talk about that. So, w- fundamentally, the history of the movement is one of distrusting existing established religion, established government and uh, establish ways of thinking, seeing things. So that's the first thing. So when, when you don't, when you already are predisposed to distrusting the system and somebody comes along saying that there's this secret thing that's happening and they don't want you to know about it, uh, you're more likely to buy into it. That's the first yeah. thing. Uh, the second thing is that they're very emotion centric. You've, you may have seen this, right? With the, with the notable exception of Landmark Worldwide, which I think was very systematic in the time that you and I were there, Evan, like it was... They didn't, it, it wasn't so much, you know, you know, fuck your feelings. It's a, if you excuse me, language, it was more like, this is what it is. And this is what the story you're telling about it. So here's what it is because yeah. it was very grounded in what it is. It might be an exception. That said, a lot of the people I had to clear out in the last year have been landmark people because yeah. that's obviously not the only modality that we're doing. We are the movement and personal growth likes to get in touch with your feelings. And that's a good thing you should be emotionally healthy. You should be willing yeah. to go with your gut, but because you're interfacing with a, a platform that is designed to manipulate your feelings, it, you can't rely on those anymore. Mm-hmm. How can you, how much level of discernment do you have? Do most people have to determine whether or not what they're feeling is true intuition or just something that the algorithm has warped in their brain, right? By just repeating the, the, these messages over and over again. Yeah. And the last thing um, is that a lot of the graduates have uh, come from the, the quote unquote school of hard knocks. They haven't gone, which is to say they haven't gone to, they didn't do well in, in, in 
traditional, you know, primary, secondary school. They didn't necessarily go to college or university. And this isn't to say that college graduates and university graduates are automatically going to be more progressive or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, my, the height of my own conservative activism was as a university undergrad. Right. So that's not that's, that's not to say like my conservative friends, I mostly met in the university level. And it's not even about whether or not you believe it or not. It's more that because you don't go to university, you don't necessarily learn the uh, the critical thinking aspect of it, of, of uh, looking at new information, and sorting it. And it's not a fault if you, a lot of people can't go. The university is still a privilege for some people. I think it should be a right, yeah. frankly, but it's still a privilege. And so if you had the privilege to go, you don't have those ways of thinking. You don't have, you haven't habituated that way of disseminating information and discerning what is factual and what is not. And so outside of those things, right. And of course, you know, being on social media, like if you don't have those equipment, here's how the world could look for you. You are essentially in your own bubble that you think is the world. And you're kind of just floating here where everything outside of it is that system, that evil system that you keep hearing about. And you feel badly about it. You feel angry. You feel scared. You feel paranoid. And then you see all these other things coming, you know, coming at you from other people who are also light and love and chakras and yoga and meditation and stuff. Right. And suddenly these people are, are passing along these things about a hidden, a hidden child, you know, trafficking ring. Yeah. Which do exist. This is the worst part. Like child trafficking is a big problem, but when you're, you're looking at it through the QAnon lens, you're, uh, you're basically like you're, you're not looking at what's actually going on. You're looking at what they're presenting to you, which may or may not be true. There are real trafficking rings that you can oh, for sure. go after, right? How are you supposed to tell the difference if you don't have that ability to discern? So those are kind of the three things. If you're, if you're in this area already and you don't, and you, again, you don't trust the system, you tend to think you, you tend to behave, act from your emotions rather than, you know, your reason, not to say you can't do both, but you tend to, that tends to be a starting point. And you may not have had the education in critical thinking that you needed to, uh, to be able to discern this stuff. And all of that being said, there's people who don't have those three in the movement who are still prone to this. Yeah. So it's not a perfect assessment, but I think those are three factors to look at. Yeah. Now, one of the things I've noticed about this movement um, is that uh, the less people know about the less people know and understand about contemporary politics in Canada or the United States, the easier that it is for them to uh, follow for this. And I'll give you an example. Um, I don't do, I don't want to name names on this show because uh, I don't believe in character assassination, even if I think what you believe is wrong. But I, there's a close family member of mine who uh, got into the, conspiratorial way of thinking and i think followed QAnon, but they said that um when i talked to them about trump you know three years ago they it what i was saying because i was educating myself on how like the republicans versus democrats works and how trump is going to affect that system uh it didn't occur to this per to this family member how left and right democrat republican uh house senate uh white house supreme court that it didn't occur to them how that system functions but i was learning how that system was functioning and i was understanding it so then fast forward to the year 2020 this family member is now saying 
Hey, Evan, do you know that Donald Trump has taken over the Federal Reserve? Like, do your research. I hate when they say that, do your research. Yeah. Because, like, do your research in the year 2020 basically means read my biased, uh, you know, uh, preconceived notion confirming uh, information that co that is coincides with my bias and you will agree with me. And if you don't, you're wrong. So this family member of mine did not go, went from not understanding basic, you know, functionality of the United States government to becoming an expert air quote on how Trump is taking down the system. So I thought that was just bonkers to me. And you mentioned landmark worldwide, uh, a couple sentences ago, Jody. And, um, Again, no character assassinations, but I know the per I know the person who referred you to Landmark, and mm. you've seen their Facebook po their Facebook timeline lately. That's oh no, uh, you don't. No, I I deleted them. I blocked them. It was oh. it, it was it was just that disappointing. It was exactly. that sad. Yeah. Yeah. So that's all I can. Yeah. No, that's all I can really say. And I I did try to write reason with these people. But the reality is, um, uh, Asad, maybe you can interject into this, but what's happening is I will write something very calm and collected in response to the mindset of one of these people, and then they will come back and say something along the lines of, oh, you're a sheeple or you're bought uh, by the system or you're, in, you're, not, you're not red pilled, you're not woke, you're, you're still in the matrix, like you're still dependent on the system. Now, where have I seen this condescending make wrong fuckery before? <laughs> oh, yeah, we saw it with social justice warriors. You know, disagree with me, or and you're sexist, you're a misogynist. I'll have you fired from your job. I'll riot if you try to speak on my university campus. Do you feel like we're gonna? Do you guys feel like we're gonna see a flip in the social justice culture where it's no longer hard, uh, lefties? It's now a bunch of right wingers who are pissed off that their guy lost. I don't know if they're equivalent, if that makes sense. What do you think, Asad? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's hard to say. Um, I do think that there is this instinct in people, again, that it's more about they don't want to have that cognitive dissonance and to be actually uh, engaging with the reality of the situation around them. Again, maybe one of those positive takeaways from doing the work that a person does when they're at a place like Landmark International for that program is to uh, learn how to discern what's really happening from what they think is happening and from the story that they've constructed about themselves. And that takes some deep inner work and some willingness to grapple with uh, cognitive dissonance. I do think that that's really a necessary skill that people have to build. And so referring to what you two gentlemen have mentioned, which is this bubble that people live in and that they want to continue to live in, that's something that I think really defines our, our current moment that people want to live in a space of comfort and they want to use their power to choose. Uh, and they're using their power to choose to create realities that are com comfortable for them to inhabit, that they don't have to be challenged and that they can not actually uh, allow diverse viewpoints in. Uh, it's very different from the world that uh, existed in, you know, maybe up to the 1980s or the late 1970s where there was the advent of cable television, but choice was still, uh, in media consumption, was still relatively limited. You didn't have the internet. 
And most people got their news in the United States of America and in Canada from just a, a very small handful of television networks. So there was still great trust in the uh, in the providers of media. Uh, everybody tuned in to watch, you know, at, at night, um, your one or two trusted news anchors. And when people saw the news, they all consumed the similar news and they all had a similar view of reality. Now you have people who are out for money. And when you look at the kinds of salaries that people like uh, Hannity, uh, Sean Hannity on Fox News and Tucker Carlson on Fox News get paid. And then similarly on MSNBC, what people like Rachel Maddow are getting paid and what people um, uh, like Joe Scarborough are getting paid. You have self-interested uh, cable news network hosts who are out there with a particular worldview competing for viewers and audiences. And they're all claiming the mantle of truth. So people yeah. can self-separate into these different camps and say, well, I think that this guy or this gal is really telling it like it is. And I also think they're massively entertaining and that's what I'm choosing to go for here. So there's this component of the um, democratic entertainment complex and the Republican entertainment complex that people are buying into as well. I think really just to finish up that thought, a lot of people are just here to have a good time and um, to at the same time act like they're engaging in a very um, self-important way with <laughs> the... Uh, politics of the world that we live in yeah. and the fact we're all getting bought and sold and so there is reason to distrust media i just don't know if it's the same group of people that we all have uh reason to mistrust and i think that that's going to be what we have to work out together as society um and i think it's going to be pretty hard to do and i don't even know if it's possible anymore <laughs> okay well that's actually good it's going to be my next question uh asad like because how do we go forward from this right now as of this recording Records are being broken in both Canada and the United States for COVID-19 cases and COVID-19 deaths. The virus is in its second wave globally. Uh, it's hard to say whether or not there will be a, a third wave. And then the pandemic's done in like late 2021, early 2022, approximately. But the good news is, um, well, it's not good news if you, you know, are of the anti-vaxxer crowd. But the good news is two very promising vaccines have shown a 90% success rate with uh, testing COVID-19, with uh, uh, eradicating and preventing COVID-19 in the human body. We've got a supposedly successful vaccine. Now we just have to figure out the conundrum that is distribution and uh, basically getting the populace to agree. When the vaccine becomes available, a whole new conversation is going to open up about, you know, how are we going to take it? Because I've heard uh, that the, the, the consensus is once the vaccines made available to the public, the pandemic can be over by the end of a year from now. Like a year from now, we could be living in a world where our restaurants are all open. We don't have to social distance. We, we may not even have to wear masks in public anymore. So... That's amazing, but at the same time, we're going to have to deal with anywhere from, uh, I'm going to say, one quarter to one third of a population of any Western civilization that absolutely refuses to take a vaccine and just believes that we're all going to be microchipped. <laughs> so, like, that's what I'm worried about is... We got America successfully got rid of Trump by voting him out. He's going to be out the door 
very soon, but we also have a pandemic to deal with. So where do we go from here? Like, and Biden is pleading this message of unity because he's the guy who has a career record of getting Republicans and Democrats to get along and compromise on policy. But um, in an America that's divided, there's a lot of skepticism and pessimism as to whether or not he can actually get uh, the American people to unify against him. He's nowhere near as divisive as Trump. He doesn't paint uh, the population, a segment of the population as his enemy uh, because he can't govern like that. And Biden understands that. But other than that, the damage caused by Trump, how do we deal with it? Like just, I'm talking, let's talk about the next six months if one year is too uh, far of a timeline. Because within the next six months, what we're going to see is Biden's going to take office. Uh, he's going to do a bunch of executive orders in his first 100 days, like every other president before him does or did. And we're also going to see possibly in the United States and Canada, the early distribution of a COVID-19 vaccine. So in this crucial time in Western civilization history, how do we come together? How do we put aside our differences and how do we talk to these people? who are going to, and once they see, once these people, I have a scary theory, once these people see Trump concede or leave, they're not just going to abandon the whole, he's the hero taking down the big cabal theory. They're going to just, they're either going to despair or they're going to shift their focus to a new hero. Trump will be dead to them and they'll point to someone like Tucker Carlson as like the real inside man who's taking these people down or Sean Hannity. So my theory yeah. is with these people is once Trump leaves, they're going to they're going to act like the establishment forced him out and that the establishment won. They're either going to despair or they're going to modify their theory so that a new hero will, is striving to take down the cabal. But yeah, um, first thing, yeah, yeah. First thing I would say, uh, just to jump in, right, the first step in reconciling with any opposition is to stop calling them you people. Right. Um, and that's not, that's not a slight against you, Evan. It's just that I do the same thing and yeah. we're othering them at the outset and, uh, and being othered for many of them, not all, but for many of them was what got us into this mess in the first place. Yeah. Because if they didn't feel excluded from the general discourse of society in the first place, a lot of these guys wouldn't have hopped on Trump's train. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so second is to recognize that the, a lot of people, the silent majority don't align with any party, but they vote for whoever makes them more comfortable. And as hard as it may be for us to believe, there is a lot of people out there who thought that Trump was preferable to Biden That's true, it, yeah. be, because of what they'd heard, whether or not that was true or not, they voted with what they heard. Right. I think I brought up the example of a very smart friend of mine who didn't like the notion that for West Virginian mining families, Yes. The decision to vote for Trump was very simple because Hillary said she was going to shut down their multi-generational industry. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't matter how nuanced the thinking is. If for some people, the thinking is just that black and white, you basically crossed the line with me at the outset and I'm not going to vote for you. Yeah. I'm going to vote for the other guy. And that's how it goes. So mm -hmm. the thing about reconciliation, it's, it's to recognize that maybe a lot of this is still being conducted via this medium, social media, and things look more divisive than they actually might be. Hmm. Um, and because we're doing that, 
because we're engaged through this this very fairly narrow curated lens, uh, maybe reconciliation is just as simple as saying, okay, what do you want to have? Yeah. When I say simple, I don't mean easy. We're at, you know, we're, we're trying to pool Niagara Falls into the, the waters of Niagara Falls into this very small container of uh, one conversation. Right. Yeah. And I don't know if, if any of us is as qualified to do that, but just sort of based on where I've seen it, I could see what, what you've talked to, what you've talked about is pointing to a new political ideology. They've already talked about Trumpism yeah. as a subset of uh that that very right wing conservative thinking, it's messianic, um, uh, you know. To be sure, worst thing that can happen. They were saying this when Trump got sick with COVID. People said that the worst thing that could happen was if he died, because then he's going to be a martyr. And then, when you have that figurehead, you can do anything you want with them. You can make them mean anything, as big or small, to justify any other thing. For Donald, right? Can you see people doing that? Right? Yeah. I can see they're doing that now and he's alive. Can you imagine if he was dead? Oh God. Yeah. Right? Where if it was like a President Pence running against Biden. Yeah, or something, right? Like yeah. it, it, it if he was gone, right, then you have this big shadow of a legacy of somebody, right? Legacy is powerful. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned at the outside of the podcast too that you know his legacy is over. His legacy is just getting started, frankly. Mm. Um, with him leaving office because we have now we have entire pockets of the population who believe, yes, they're not going to get vaccinated, but that ties into the personal growth thing at first, because if you were into holistic health and you didn't trust vaccine, you didn't trust traditional medicine, it was very easy to weaponize you against vaccines. Yeah. Right. Very easy. Um, and this isn't to say that there aren't technical problems with vaccination. There always have been, but this yeah. is just like with the COVID thing. You're seeing science performing in real time. And whenever science performs in real time, it fails more often than it succeeds. It has to. Right? You, you think you think that they went to the moon on a one single launch? No, they had yep. hundreds of they had hundreds of rockets blowing up on the pad, not lighting up, not yeah. making it, not making it to orbit, right? And not being able to be to, to be steered properly. America watched that in real time too, the space race. Well, they didn't watch it the same intensity that we did. They didn't have day-to-day internet coverage. They couldn't go home to see basically a little electronic rectangle that gave them live feeds all the time. That's true, yeah. Right? Right? The rocket launches were televised, but more than often than not, you had time in between to kind of think about it. Um, And a lot of the time, those those were military launches that weren't televised, right? That that, that all led up to it. And um, if you really want to split hairs... Uh, a lot of the te- the rocket technology came from the Nazis, so they did, they, def- they, they definitely didn't watch that uh, on, yeah. in real time. So the uh, the the thing about this is that we're going to see. Um, so when he said, um, when Trump had said during one of the debates to the Proud Boys, that little dog whistle of oh, "Stand God. fast and stand by." Yes, that was the first time I felt my skin color in a long time. And in a very physical way where I don't know who's going to, I'm going to be walking down the street someday. And there's a lot of guys who drive past here who are almost certainly uh, on Trump's side, just at least based on the bumper stickers they have on their trucks. Even in Canada? Oh, tons. Yeah. I've seen it. I, I mean, mind you, I'm in Hamilton. So who knows what that means, but right. just for the record uh, <laughs> audience, uh, ha- Hamilton, correct me if I'm wrong, Jody, Hamilton is uh, the hate, hate crime capital of Canada, right? Like it, more, it's more by te- it's it's interesting because it's by technicality because they actually track the records here. I'm sure you're going to have a higher ratio in Toronto oh, because yeah. there's just more people. Yeah, uh, but that but there is a problem here. Like I've seen Hamilton's the only place I've seen a Trump Pence bumper sticker. 
Wow. Um, yeah, on, on the back. And, and, and the worst part is we're trying not to stereotype, but it's on the back of an F-150, which is exactly where I would expect, based on the stereotype, <laughs> To find, uh, you know, to find a, a Trump pen sticker. Yeah. But there's guys who, but part of it is that you have people who are rural who uh, typically have not, you have all this land and they pay all these taxes, but they don't necessarily need the benefits of what the social programs do, right? So they typically lean conservative. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, why I bring all of this up, and I've forgotten actually why I bring all of this up, to be honest with you. Um, is that this is the beginning of a movement when he said, stand fat, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be walking down the street one day and I'm going to have one of these guys throw a beer can at me. Right. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to be walking into the store. Um, like I know, I know anecdotally, if I look more different, like I've grown out my full beard and here's the weird thing. I've actually, I've had this notion that if I look more quote unquote Muslim, according to the popular, conception of what a Muslim looks like, right. right? With a full beard and everything like that. I get treated differently. Oh, I don't know if that's my perception, my paranoia, or if that's a real experience. But you see, these things that are that I could have previously dismissed as paranoia on my part, now I can't be so sure moving forward because Trump has unlocked this this subculture, this not he's turned it into a subculture now, right? It yeah. used to be the thing we used to we it used to operate below. You wouldn't say anything. You just kind of whisper about your racist uncle or things like that, right? Or you yeah. wouldn't want to see the person at Thanksgiving. Now they they go outside and they say flagrantly thing, you know, flagrantly racist things, and yeah. um, they they will some of them when they're in a mood. We've seen this on video. They will go up and accost people that they think are quote unquote Muslim or yeah. Mexican or whatever because they've been watching nothing but Fox News 24-7 and they feel that the president's given them a way to get out. So we're going to be dealing with this um, for a long time. I think this is also going to bring up the privileges conversations in a more yeah. uh, direct way because I have a friend who like uh, in, in one of my chats um, with, a, with a couple of old buddies of mine where they tend to lean on that liberal progressive side. Yeah. They went on this whole tear about all conservatives are Nazis recently, and I didn't say anything. But I thought, man, as the only person of color here, how privileged must it be for you to be able to liken an entire ideology to genocidal people when you yourself will never have to worry about being, you know, of genocide because of your race? Yeah, that's a new like little dimension of privilege there. You can, it's privileged to be able to call conservatives Nazis. Yeah, it really and to actually, and to actually mean it. It's like sorry. I can, I am more prone than most of you, than, than most of those guys in that group, everybody really, um, to being victimized by a Nazi, an actual yeah. Nazi. And um, for, for all my disagreements with conservatives, not a single conservative has tried to harm me based on my race. Yeah, I don't know any, thankfully, I don't know any conservatives who have tried to harm. Well, yeah. first of all, like, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm as white as they come, but um, I'm part of a minority demographic. Uh, the autism mm -hmm. spectrum is a minority demographic. Mm -hmm. um, conservatives typically aren't too, they don't target autistic people the way that they target, you know, other ethnicities or other uh, races. That might change, and I really am scared as to what that change is going to look like with the whole... Alec Manassian defense, how he's using autism uh, to plead NCR uh, for the mm -hmm. bank attack. But that's yeah. a whole other topic for another day. But the point is, um, I know what it's like to be in a minority. Um, and I do gather that there is a lot of privilege. Um, and when it comes to, you know, calling one side of uh, the political spectrum or putting them all in a box, uh, mm -hmm. 
<clears throat> but on they do that on the flip side they do they do that to people who aren't uh who aren't conservative they act like all liberals are communists um mm-hmm. they've said it too like um yeah uh they, they, there's a reason why you know there's so many meme conservative memes of uh bernie sanders uh with a backdrop of the soviet union flag like uh it, it's all it's all fear-mongering and mm-hmm. I, I also like uh, how there's this meme where it's like the left sees Nazis everywhere. The right sees communists everywhere. What I see is two ideological factors waging a mindless war against each other while the system keeps you locked in this uh, state of conflict while it can oppress you like day in and day out. So, yeah. Uh, I feel like um, optimistically, though, I think one thing that might actually happen is now that uh conservatives are furious that they lost an election maybe an actual conversation in the states can be had about abolishing the electoral the electoral college because every single person i know who want who is sad that trump won was saying um you know get rid of the electoral college it's outdated it's useless and this is coming from the perspective of a canadian like we don't have an electoral college in canada an electoral college in Canada would be insanity. Like, uh, can you imagine that? But in America, they still have one. So I think the most optimistic thing we can, we might be able to look for in the next four years, a, a conversation could be started about getting rid of the electoral college. And I think that would make a huge difference for uh, mm-hmm. the voting, the voting dynamic in America. Because it's I, feel like, I think Biden, didn't he already say he wasn't in favor of that? Or am I misremembering this? Um, I'm going to have to fact check that, but, uh, here's what I know. Biden is not in favor. Biden is not in favor of prosecuting Trump. Well, he's, 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 he just, there's a, the conversation was had, like, you know, Trump's committed a lot of political crimes during his time in office. And, uh, like, can Biden prosecute him for any of that? And Biden was actually asked about that. And he says, He's not he doesn't really want to, because if Biden does, that's a historic precedent he sets, because you prosecute a president who's out the door for crimes he committed during his term. Then let's say uh, in 2024 or 2028, uh, the Republicans win the White House again and Biden commits some shady act uh, in his term. And then the Republicans send him to jail for that. So or Mm -hmm. try to prosecute him. So. There is a tradition that presidents don't prosecute former presidents who are out the do- who are heading out the door. They just graciously let them leave and then they go about their lives. But what Biden did say is that he's going to leave it up to the Manhattan district attorney who is ready to subpoena Trump the second he leaves. And I personally, I don't feel bad for the guy, but Donald Trump's life as a former president, when he's not hold, holding MAGA rallies and when he's not starting up his news network or not trying to run in 2024, his life as a former president, he's not exactly going to be sipping pina coladas on a beach in Florida. His life as a former president is going to be bureaucratic hell. And he's going to be up to his eyeballs in lawsuits for the rest of his days when he's not ho- holding rallies or trying to run again. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like from... Trump's past history, that's where he's most comfortable, however. He likes to win, and he's constantly creating battles for himself that he can cast himself as the hero. And he's lived uh, in a morass of litigation for most of the last 30 years. Yeah. Uh, and 
those are basically fights that he could have avoided, the fights that he's starting because he can, because he feels he has the power to do so. And he has the money to pay the lawyers to actually have those fights. And there, there's something in it to win for him. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's an interesting world that Trump has created for himself. And it's a world that he feels comfortable and thrives in. And that's part of his whole mythology, I think. So yeah. that'll be to see. I think going back to some of the earlier discussions we're having about the vaccination, uh, I do yeah, think yeah. it's important to just think about the whole role of the pandemic in this election, uh, the degree to which there is this idea that Joe Biden is somebody who's maybe more equipped to deal with the pandemic in North America than Donald Trump was. And so we'll have to see if that actually bears out in reality and how the Biden administration, when it actually does assume office, ends up managing uh, the pandemic differently than a Trump administration and whether that's even possible given the amount of misinformation and um, practices that the American public have undertaken compared to so many other countries. I wonder what it's really like in the United States of America compared to here in Canada. Well, here in Toronto, really, that's the only place that I get to see uh, firsthand. And here in Toronto, in my apartment building where I live, uh, there's not a single person who doesn't wear a mask that I encounter yeah. uh, all the time when they're out in the halls of the building or taking the elevator. People ask you politely before they get in the elevator with you. They don't want to assume that they can share it. So there's a great deal of courtesy and respect observed where I live. When I get into the subway, it's almost extremely rare that I see somebody not wearing a mask to the extent that I can safely assume if I see somebody not wearing a mask. Maybe they are one of those people who have a medical issue and they're just taking advantage of the of their right to not wear their mask uh, in public and not actually say anything uh, in terms of having to provide a medical excuse. So it's not to the degree that I feel un unsafe. So it's interesting to see the norms over here, whereas from what I hear from my friends in the United States, there are many people who simply won't wear masks and they're very proud to not wear masks. So I think there's a great difference in what's going on over here versus over there. Yeah. When it comes to the vaccine, yeah, I agree with you, Evan. There's going to be this huge uh, demographic of people who just won't feel comfortable taking it and they don't trust it. And I think that's a real shame because, like you said, Jody, and like you said, Evan, we're watching science play out in real time. All of the information is there uh, for public scrutiny. There's a great deal of transparency. But you have people who have opted out of the uh, public conversation, maybe, and started their own subculture of conversation which takes as a basic assumption that you cannot trust um, scientists and the health establishment as well. Now, that's interesting to me because I am a naturopathic doctor and I practice holistic medicine. So right. I think it's very interesting that there are all sorts of people out there, people who come to my practice as patients, and they want to hear confirmation from me that they should not trust vaccines. And when they say those things, I say, well, first of all, I'm not permitted to discuss vaccines with you. That's a conversation you need to have with your medical doctor. Oh, okay. But if they really pushed me and pressed me, then I would say, I do trust vaccines and I think you should have them. Do I think that there are individual issues with vaccines? And do I think that maybe if you get genetically tested, you might be more vulnerable to have a reaction to a vaccine? Sure, those things are out there, but that's not something that needs to be entertained by the majority of the population. And I believe in vaccines as a public health measure. Um, and so when there is a vetted vaccine that has been approved by the uh, health agencies, I will trust the vaccine and I will take the vaccine and I will want people in my life to take the vaccine as well so that we can defeat COVID-19 together. I think the real shame is, though, just like there is a large population of the uh, percent of the population that hasn't observed social distancing or mask wearing. And for those reasons, we still have the pandemic going on. Uh, it's going to be the same with the vaccine. Um, there'll be enough people who won't get the vaccine. 
So really, again, there are scientists out there who are saying you didn't even need a vaccine in the first place if you had just consistently observed social distancing and mask wearing right from the get-go. That alone could have eradicated the pandemic. So it's just going to be another tool that's only going to be as effective as uh, the population um, actually lets it be. So that'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Um, in this case of uh, the United States, I feel like it's going to be a state by state basis, like certain states, the pandemic will be eradicated uh, early on, like in the state in the states where, you know, you have, you know, the populace that's, you know, concentrated in a major city like California, New York or uh, Pennsylvania, their numbers will probably go way down and they'll probably beat the pandemic before the say the state of Florida or the state of Texas does. So um, that, that'll be interesting to see. Um, uh, in terms of where we go from here, um, I think there is some hope, and I'll tell you why. Because, um, you know, there is a resurgence of the second wave in, of COVID-19 in Europe. And I want to point to Germany as one example, because um, in Germany, uh, over the past few years, they've had a far-right movement grow in their country. And... And not to kind of stoke anyone's fear that Germany is the land of Hitler. And there's a lot of people who, you know, are now think, okay, Hitler was cool. And with Trumpism in the States, it's feeding into that. Now, am I saying that all Trump supporters are Nazis on this, on the record? No, absolutely not. But there is a correlation between, you know, far right politics and uh, figureheads like Hitler or figureheads like Trump. So in Germany, there was a huge anti-mask protest that was correlated with the far-right movement over there. But a couple weeks ago, Germany had to lock down all over again because their cases were going through the roof. And the big conspiracy peddlers in that country haven't been silenced. Like, the government's not going to silence people over there. Because even though social media censorship is a problem... It's not exclusive to one side of the political spectrum, and I keep telling everyone this, but the conspiracy peddlers have started to quiet down now that the death rates are going up in Germany and now that they've had to lock down again. I feel like it's going to take something very scary and catastrophic like overcrowded hospitals or uh, a compromise in the medical system for it to click with these people. And... Um, so I feel like eventually it may click, uh, depending on where you live. Like for, you don't think, you don't think so, but, but what I'm talking about in Germany is like, oh. it, they had a bit of like a real, something hit them. Like they, the, the far right movement over there has really quieted down on the anti-mask rhetoric. So, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know about that. I've no. seen rallies as recently as three days, again, using this very imperfect social medium, right. Uh, filter, um, and this is what I'm worried about. I think uh, there's there's a there's a nurse from in the states, South who did Dakota, it. I think it was. Yeah, a Twitter feed where like these people are in their beds, getting hooked up to ventilators, still saying that this isn't COVID. Oh my god! Right, that this is, or that Biden did this somehow, or Jeez. that uh, they they're going, they're literally dying with fealty to this trumped up notion to use an expression that this, thing, yeah. that this thing is uh, is not real yeah. so the the damage uh, the, the maybe this is an extreme case 
But if you – and this is all conjectural to the degree that I'll never be able to get proof of it, right? Yeah. Um, but based on the conversations that other nurses have chimed in on when they saw that thread and other reports that I've seen like on Reddit and just on you know just little YouTube clips and stuff, yeah, people are – this isn't – people get – what's that thing called? The backfire effect where you get the one – that one thing gets into your head and then you close the door. Yeah. Because you've attached so much personal or significance to this idea that you don't want to hear any criticism afterward. This thing's significant to you. Yeah. And um, when that happens, it's like you can't just undo this, right? It's uh, it's very difficult. And so that, I think that's what's happening. But I, th- I think Asad, you were like – you were also shaking your head, big no. Yeah, I think we were thinking about the same thing. We were thinking about that news report of the nurse from – was it North Dakota or South Dakota? I was- believe South South Dakota, and, I think Evan said, right? Yeah. yeah. This nurse who, who actually, just like you were saying, Jody, says uh, that uh, she sees so many patients, elderly patients who are coming and they're being hooked up to ventilators and they're actually dying. And they really just think that COVID-19 is fake because of what they've heard from their news media that they're consuming and from what they believe because they are uh, commonly are Trump supporters. Or maybe even some of them are independents or whatever you want to call them. But the one thing that unites is them is that they don't trust the doctors and nurses uh, and they are refusing to believe that even in the face of dying, they'll say, no, this must be the flu. This must be pneumonia. It's definitely not COVID-19. That stuff is fake and it's made up. So that's just a whole different world that we're living in uh, compared to somebody who has that belief. Right. So it's really, it really is interesting to see how something so fundamental about human nature um, is really being perverted here, that we're just all trying to live in a society. And part of what allows us to thrive and function in that society is to have common ground with the people that we feel close to. And so evidently you have people who are parts of communities where the the assumption of that, that community and to be part of that community, you accept this belief that, yeah, I don't think COVID-19 is real. And all of my friends and neighbors think that COVID-19 is not real. And this is how we feel safe and this is how we function and this is what we think is right and good in the world. And we're willing to die defending that belief. And then meanwhile, you have other people who believe the opposite. So it's really, really, uh, I think, simplistic to think that there's going to be any easy fix to that. People aren't just simply going to magically change the way they feel about this. Uh, And um, it's going to be uh, really something that's going to take a fundamental long-term shift in consciousness, maybe, to learn how to navigate this world we live in now with all of these incredible uh, exposure to um, the internet and diverse viewpoints that can really be used to uh, sway public opinion. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, just to finish up that thought, uh, it's it's really, really not going to be something that we're likely to see in my lifetime, I think. No, <laughs> no Yasad, you're right. Like this is a, what's been created over the last four years, what's been put out into the world is a multi-generational issue at this yeah. point. This is, it it takes longer to clean up some messes than others. And so we're going to be dealing with the kids of these individuals who have believed, who who have fallen into this kind of uh, backfire effect thinking about COVID, about Trump, about the establishment. You're going to, we're then going to see, are those kids, and we've seen from different, in the different iterations of generations, some of the kids react they there's a backlash to that where they go the complete opposite other times they just become the next generation of that same way of thinking 
And so that ties into, they off the top of my head, that ties into conversations about educational resources. Do they have funding? Do they have schools that they can access where they can use this, right? Funding is going to yeah. be a policy issue. It's not just a policy issue. It's a, now it's a multi-generational healing issue. Yeah. How are you supposed to restore education or at least it put it in where it may not have existed in the first place so that they can learn. The second thing is, Having recognizing again that not everybody who you who voted Trump or not everybody who believes this is an extremist, as you said, um, as a side side, if all your neighbors think the same thing, you might not think yourself so crazy for believing it yourself. Um, for example, um, my I have a very conservative, um, uh, you know, a fairly conservative immediate family, and my mom calls me up every now, every so often with updates from my cousins and such, right? One of my cousins, uh, little cousins, had caught COVID. And she, oh, didn't, she didn't display any symptoms. She was fine. Um, the entire good. family quarantined. Nobody else got it. Uh, so they were very lucky. I'm not entirely sure how that works. But she apparently keeps to herself most of the time anyway. And uh, once she was diagnosed, she isolated and they made a system. Right. But my mom's takeaway for somebody who watches a lot of conservative news was, I guess the virus isn't that bad. Mm-hmm. Because why else? If you're only if your main evidence, you don't believe any of this other stuff that's on a screen. But if somebody in your real life suddenly catches it um, and they are okay, I guess it's not so bad. Which is strange because we know a nurse, uh, a friend of ours, who caught it, and she's still dealing with the after effects months later. Right? She's one of those one in five who are dealing with uh, lingering effects that they still don't quite know why it's happening. Um, but she said, oh, that, well, that's cause she's a nurse. She works, she's more exposed somehow, but my cousin who's less exposed catches it. She recovers from it. And suddenly the virus is not so bad. It's like, yeah. because we're so willing to find that confirmation of our preexisting notions. Yeah. And I had to tell her, it's like, that was one individual case. This virus is every bit as bad as you think it is, as they're saying it is. You need to kind of get on board with this. Yeah. And keep um, in mind, Trump yeah. got COVID and when Trump beat COVID, supposedly beat covid uh yeah he went back to the white house way ahead of his doctor's orders mind you took off mm-hmm. mask for that you know pretty little photo op I, my dad and i actually talked on the phone the next day my dad was furious that trump did that and that there is a tweet that he wrote where he said don't let covid run your life and assad and i talked about this in part one the president is an incredibly privileged position to say shit like that like you can't mm-hmm. tell the average person don't let this run your life um when there's you know let's say there's a grandma uh somewhere in the country who whose health insurance expired and they need a ventilator grandma can't get a ventilator and grandma dies that's a yeah. very real problem the president of the united states does not have to worry about not having access to a ventilator when trump got covid i knew he was going to be fine because i know that he has access to medical technology as the president that's probably classified to us um so i wasn't worried about trump but yeah like mm-hmm. i agree with this whole multi-generational thing and navigating this world uh, there are a lot of unknowns um, yeah it just makes me nostalgic uh, and maybe that's not really the most admirable place to go into the realm of nostalgia when you're confronted with real world problems yeah. again it's a privilege to even have time for nostalgia but it makes me nostalgic for a time when People grew up with this ethos. So, and again, there were people who were at the same time being massacred in Cambodia, and there were at the same time people being subject to racism in North America. But there was a time when at least the public norms and discourse 
did honor notions such as ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Yeah, and that's true. what we want, so what I'd love to see in my lifetime at least is a rebuilding of this, you know, shared attitude of service. And that's what I'd really like to see um, myself and others, perhaps in civil society, start being leaders as we continue to, you know, uh, navigate the next few years as starting to try and construct together a shared reality where we say, look, it doesn't matter what you fundamentally believe ultimately, but let's all agree that we're here for one thing, which is to make our world a better place together and start finding ways to do that. Yeah. Because uh, there is this large culture now of just opting out and uh, marching to the beat of your own drum and uh, pursuing your own pleasure and satisfaction. And I think that that is one place where maybe the self-help movement does go awry because I think it's very, very honorable to pursue self-enlightenment and knowledge enhancement so that you can then turn it towards service of uh, a larger community. But you do see a lot of people who confuse that with just their own self-enhancement for their own purposes, their own pleasure, and for their own enrichment. And yeah. I think that, that is a, probably an outgrowth of uh, um, the culture of the 1980s, when you had this uh, new type of presidency, Ronald Reagan's presidency, that came right, into yeah. the office with this overwhelming mandate, they said, from the American people. Uh, again, uh, with this notion of it's it's morning in America. And everybody wanted to turn the page on the Red Scare and on the Cold War. And they wanted to move on from all of that uh, uh, Vietnam uh, legacy in the United States. So you have this notion of it's morning in America and some people still want to live in that world where it's morning everywhere all the time for them and they can ignore the things that they don't like. Yeah. And we need to acknowledge that the world is full of um, imperfections that we all owe it to each other to, to do our part to clean up. And so really there has to be an ethos of service that we all have to start to act out and try and do better for the next generation because our lives are at stake and the lives of the life of the planet is at stake as well at this point. True, yeah. So I think, you know, for me, something that I'd like to see for myself going forward is to, regardless of all the noise that's out there, I ask myself, am I doing this in service of a larger ideal? And can I put aside my differences with other people and find common ground? I think that's admirable. I think that that's the way that we have to approach things. When I see people say things like, well, I'm not prepared to forgive and forget uh, Trump supporters, I think that they've done so much damage to public discourse that I, as a left-wing person, am not interested in engaging with them. I think that's a shame. And I think that anybody who says, I'm not prepared to work with people who support Joe Biden or who are left-wing because I think that they're socialists and radicals, I'm not prepared to work with them. I think that's a shame as well. I think that we should really start to understand that we're all in this together. And anytime we privilege our own desires for a comfortable reality over the actual necessity of the world, which is to get our shit together and deal with generational problems like we're talking about, uh, including climate change, um, then we're doing ourselves and our planet of great disservice. So let's yeah. see how that works. Um, there's one last point I want to bring up about uh, personal growth and development in the community, and and then I want to actually kind of wrap this up with uh, a with two more questions. Um, so before uh, you guys can interject into this, but um, having been someone who has been around personal growth and development for most of my life, throughout this community, controversial figures like Donald Trump have been supported by this community before. So it's not surprising that some of the community would see Trump's charisma and think, Hey, that's cool. Um, I'll give you an example. 
Uh, Tony Robbins um, is uh, one example where, you know, he's very charismatic. He's very persuasive. His his talks land very powerful for a lot of people. But the guy has a history, supposedly, of being an abuser. And some people have, some of his partners have gone on record saying that, you know, he's got history with misogyny and all that. But people still look up to him because what he says resonates with them. And in terms of uh, a more example of someone who turned out to be a fraud, uh, there was a guy named Kevin Trudeau, who I actually have listened to audio uh, CDs of him uh, talking his talk about, you know, owning your life and all that, you know, fun little stuff. Um, when I see Trump say something like, you know, don't let COVID dominate your, your life, he sounds like a co the kind of coach in this industry that I cannot stand. So... What would you like to would you like to know why? Why? When Trump was younger, his family was younger, they would go to church sermons uh, administered by Norman Vincent Peale. Oh, that explains a lot. Right. So he has uh, part of uh, this. I've been lately immersed in outside of politics. I've been immersed in uh, uh, this uh, whole field of chaos magic, this whole um, kind of supernatural thing about it, right? And so this notion that you can, anyway, it's it's this whole kind of occult uh, uh, bit of studying that I'm doing right now. Um, yeah. And what's funny is that people said that Trump internalized a lot of. Um, he embodies what it's like to take those same principles and apply it to dark ends, mm. um, because it's like if you can manipulate the planet, if you can, if you have a mind body, a mind matter interaction, and all that stuff, which is really what Norman Vincent Peale, a lot of the other thinkers had been uh, considering. Um, a great resource to listen to this is Mitch Horowitz. Any of his podcasts where he talks about Norman Vincent Peale or Neville Goddard, uh, he he gets into this quite a bit, and he mentioned Trump in a few of his. Uh, talks right and how Trump, yeah. talk, Trump in, over years internalized all of this yeah so there is there is a reason for that that's why I wanted to interject and yeah. I think it, I, I do think though like uh, because we're a bit pressed for time yeah. I would like to have a more in-depth conversation on the weaponization of the self-help movement in this in the past couple of years because I think yeah. that we, we we did we did kind of skim the surface and there's yeah, a lot yeah. more to it than what we had time to discuss yeah well yeah, yeah. that's a probably a good idea for another uh podcast yeah. but but anyway so um what when i think of like kevin trudeau kevin trudeau went to jail for selling a completely bullshit you know body positivity and weight loss book and he's currently in jail serving a sentence and uh he won't be out for quite some time but after that you know people's what he said in the past like about owning your life still resonates with people like if you listen to a cd it sounds very good but no one in the personal growth community talks about Kevin Trudeau like he's an idol anymore. And I feel like it'll – so are you saying – have you heard people talk about Kevin Trudeau or uh, – No, no, I'm, I'm listening to you. I'm yeah, agreeing so, with so, you. I feel like if Trump – let's say shortly after Biden takes office, Trump gets an indictment and gets slapped with a fraud charge and maybe he gets a massive fine or goes to jail. I don't know. Maybe like his support will die down. But then again, I'm comparing apples and oranges. Don Kevin Trudeau is not Donald Trump. They're both frauds, but one of them is getting away with fraud, and people are blatantly supporting him while he gets away with fraud. With Kevin Trudeau, people saw the light and people walked away from him. So I guess the point I would I hope to make is that 
eventually people move on from one figurehead to another. And if it's not Trump, the weaponized uh, personal growth community supports, it'll be someone else right after him. So he Trump wasn't the first controversial Trump wasn't the first controversial figure to be supported by this community, and he won't be the last either. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that, especially with his kids, you know, uh, in my, by the time I'm old enough to have grandkids, we could see a future in which Don Jr., Eric, or Ivanka, or even Baron all make attempts at the White House run. It could happen. They could follow in, in daddy's footsteps, just like Bush followed in his daddy's footsteps. But that's all conjecture at this point, and it's too much to go into. But the last question I want to ask you, gentlemen, is what do you want to see from a, from a President Biden, and what direction do you immediately want him to steer things in? Close those prisons for kids on the border. Good idea. Reunite those kids with their families. Find a way. Yeah. Uh, you know, something Asadi said earlier is like, uh, we. it's a shame when we say we don't want to work with other people, uh, especially the ones who disagree with us and Trump supporters. I will work with them. The trouble with that is um, as if, if some of the things that they put into motion that hurt other people are still active, I will want them to take care of that first. Yeah. I want those to end uh, before I will engage. And I know it's not going to happen under the lame in this lame duck period, but um, I want the Trump people to own and to answer for that somehow. Somebody's got to answer for that. That is a separating kids. I mean, you know, this I'm sure is somebody in the healthcare field, you separate a kid too young from their mother, right? You're going to have a whole, you're going to have like lots of kids growing up with major psychological damage that's assuming yeah. they even get reunited with their parent their actual parents yeah right that's that's a that, that's that's bordering on sin not just oppression right yeah. there's a sure. like, like someone like if, if i don't think this way normally but someone's going to hell for that right yeah <laughs> there has to be conditions there has to be accountability i do agree with you yeah. about that Jody. Yeah. and so i i couldn't agree more uh it just i think maybe i'm thinking more of the people who just say outright it doesn't matter what happens I don't care. I, I, those people have gone too far. I think that we have to honor the fact that humans make mistakes, but there has to be accountability when we're correcting those mistakes. And there always have to be consequences for sure. I just think that giving up before you even start is not the right approach. And Absolutely. so to answer your question, uh, I think I'd like to see more of the same from a president Biden. I think that he has been conducting himself in a way that I'm pretty happy with. Um, he's got a really, really difficult task ahead of him, which is he's, he's very ambitious. He's saying he wants to work and unify the American people. That's a very, very ambitious thing to stay in this day and age. Most people, when they hear that, they respond by snorting and laughing and saying, yeah, right, that's not going to happen and it's not even possible. So in a way, he's actually very ambitious. You might think that he's not ambitious if you're a progressive. You might want him to be more ambitious and doing things differently and uh, trying to set a progressive agenda. You might think that if you're a conservative, you want him out of there because you think that he's a socialist. But the truth is, he is a very ambitious person because he's inheriting a devastated economy. He's inheriting a uh, divided republic and constitutional democracy with people who don't trust one another anymore. And he is inheriting a pandemic. And so there's all kinds of problems yet. He's coming in there and saying, we can get this done. So I think that that's an attitude that is a winning attitude for me. And uh, I do think he's... Um, ha he has said that he wants to get these children reunited with their parents. He has uh, said that he wants to, um, you know, 
uh, achieve goals that are going to make the lives of people better. So I think for most of what I'm seeing from what his team is putting out, uh, including the choice of his recent chief of staff, those are all promising to see from an adult who is in government, who has uh, a wide constitute uh, a wide constituency to serve. So let's see how it goes. And I wish him good luck. So, yeah, no, I wish him good luck. And what I want to see from him is uh, might take a while, but cancel student loan debt or you, you may not be able to make call. I can't see him making college free, but what I can see him doing is, uh, you know, make $15 minimum wage nationwide and cancel student loan debt. If I get one or both of those things, that's awesome. From a, from a Biden presidency, that's awesome. But yes, definitely reunite the kids with the, in their cages. But Jody, very quickly, a point on that is every time you talk to a Trump supporter about kids in cages, very rarely do they say that they're only someone who is a sociopath would say that they're happy with that or someone who is racist because the kids are, are not white. But what when I when you talk to Trump supporters, they pivot to and Trump said this in the debate, who built the cages, Joe? I have such a problem with that logic. And I'll tell you why. And I want to hear your two cents on that before we go. But the problem I have with the who built the cages is, yes, the Obama administration did set up these facilities to intern elite to detain illegals who are crossing the border and kids of these detainees were separated to a degree. However, Trump just took a problem that that was a problem and made it 10 times worse. Number one, number two, I do not remember a single conservative trashing Obama publicly about putting about separating kids from their families either because it wasn't happening to a severe enough degree, but that would have been a great attack point against the Obama administration. You know, Obama, you're putting kids in cages. What's wrong with you? Conservatives are attacking Obama for that while defending Trump for doing this something worse. And that makes no sense to me. Number number one, number two, um, you're cheering Trump on for something that you're blaming Obama for. It's just a backwards conversation and, but that when you talk to conservatives about holding them accountable for kids in cages, they're immediately going to go, well, Biden and Trump and Obama built the cages. So what do you want me to do? How would you answer someone like that? I wouldn't engage. I would just say, OK, look, let's close them first. Yeah. Right. Like that's all. A, that's a that's a nice bit of leisure domain on Trump's part to get you thinking about the wrong thing. Yeah. Which is the which is the right thing is let's close them. Yeah. Uh, the it's not to say that you shouldn't hold them accountable, but the more ur urgent thing, again, going to this thing of privilege, I see a lot of people here who are talking about these kids in cages as just one other topic among many. And yeah. um, this is, uh, meanwhile, they're still in cages. Mm -hmm. American concentration camps. Not the first time it's happened, but, you know, yeah. let's close that first. Let's get rid of that first and then hold some people accountable. And I don't even care about individual followers at this point. Hold the people who actually ran them accountable. Yeah, like the uh, yeah. agents who uh, actually yeah. assaulted. Like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't necessarily care what Joe Conservative next door thinks about it. I want to see the people who are actually running it uh, held accountable. Fair enough. I think that's yeah. a great sentiment to end on. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, I think going forward, I hope that we are guided into, or not just at the level of self individuals. I hope we can enter an age of rationality 
and an age of, you know, understanding and an age of togetherness when it comes to uh, take reorganizing the way things have been after four years of uh, Trump in the White House. But uh, a different day is on its way. And I wish uh, President-elect Biden and Madam Vice President-elect uh, Kamala Harris the best of luck. So uh, thank you so much for tuning in and uh, we will see you next time. Thank you, gentlemen, for your time this morning. It's been great. Thanks, Evan. Thanks, Evan. Thanks, Evan.